Paging Dr. Randy. Paging Dr. Randy. I just got on call and they're paging me already. They want me to do work as soon as I get to work. Come on, let's go. Yes, you, come on. Well, I'm Dr. Randy, nice to meet you. I'm a licensed family medicine physician. Since you're on call with me today, I want to make sure you learn as much as possible. Me and a few of my special friends are here to give you all the tips and info you need to live a balanced, healthy life. Are you ready to be on call with me? I hope so. So let's get it going. Our shift starts right now. So welcome back, healthy people, to On Call with Dr. Randy. Today we have on HBCU alumni and facial plastic surgery trained Dr. Tanisha Hudson. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing wonderful. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Just having fun on this Sunday night. My Steelers won, so I'm a little happy today. We've been trash lately, so I'm happy my team <laughs> actually okay. won this Sunday. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm happy for you. Good. Mm-hmm. You're ENT specialist and also went to plastic surgery. What made you go down that route? You know, so I had a little bit of an idea that I wanted to be a facial plastic surgeon when I started medical school. The reason was I knew I wanted to do something surgical. I've always liked to do things with my hands. I always like to be creative and be very hands-on. So I, I, I kind of figured I'd end up doing a surgical specialty. And then what folded into that was I always, I like to draw and paint since I was a kid. And I just kind of developed those skills really as a hobby just growing up. But then I started to realize I was really good at drawing faces and really good at painting faces and just became really intrigued by the small differences on one side of the face to the other, like one eye is like just slightly different. There's always these little minor asymmetries that harmonize together to make, you know, that person's face. But I just became really fascinated by that and um, found a lot of joy in paying attention to those details. And so the specialty of facial plastic surgeon made a lot of sense to me. What I didn't know going into med school was, really how to get there. I kind of assumed that I needed to do a plastic surgery residency to do that. Um, But then I was in an interest group meeting, just, you know, kind of walked into, saw a flyer up on the, you know, library wall and said, let me go to this interest group meeting. And it was a ENT facial plastic surgeon. I said, oh, I didn't, I didn't realize that that was a route for me to do just the face. Cause that's the part I was, I happened to be the most interested in. Um, so that, that was, I kind of knew, but I didn't really know how that path was going to evolve or how, like which path I was going to take to get there. But that was, that was how I ended up uh, doing that. I feel like you had kind of an epiphany moment when you went into that class. I did. And that person I actually just saw her at our national meeting, uh, the doctor that was giving the talk at that meeting. That was it really was that kind of moment, because when she just was up there explaining what she does, I was like, that is exactly what I want to do. So I started shadowing her and, um, you know, just getting more information from her, like, you know, what, how, why did you choose it? And, you know, um, getting mentorship and guidance from her. 
And then starting, of course, figuring out my application of how to get into that residency. So she was definitely my first sort of like role model and mentor. And the reason why I really went down that path. Um, And it definitely was that kind of moment when I first realized like, oh, this is this is actually it. Because if you would have went down the other plastic surgery route that you mentioned earlier, you would have been doing more as a plastic surgeon, such as like breast implants and other things, right. as opposed to seeing like you in particular wanted to just focus in on the face. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So a general plastics uh, residency would have included uh, body, it can include hand, you know, burn. There's a lot of other they have a lot of other subspecialties within their specialty that for me just wasn't what I wanted to focus on anyway. So it made much more sense for me to just train in the head and neck because that's the area I wanted to stay in anyway. Okay. So everything above the shoulder is what Dr. Hutchinson <laughs> likes to work on. Yep. Yep. Exactly. So I want to bring you on so we can have a discussion about Botox and injections and how it's able to benefit um, the skin and the face. And I don't need any mm-hmm. of my skin is good, but I think some of my listeners may, <laughs> may need a couple of injections to help them out. So what specifically mm-hmm. is Botox? So Botox is a neuromodulator. Um, it's a, an extracted substance that... Um, can actually work at the muscle, like the the nerve into the muscle and stop that muscle from responding to nerve firing for a temporary amount of time. Usually around three months is how long you'll get that effect. So, you know, when it's injected, it'll literally just kind of temporarily decrease that muscle action. You know, it, it doesn't completely paralyze, of course, depends on how much you inject, but It'll um, basically quiet that muscle action. It quiets its response to the nerve firings and you get less muscle movement in targeted areas. Okay, so that's that's a good, simple explanation. So what do most people come in to see you for for Botox? What are they coming to get those injections for in their face? So once you know, the cosmetic world realized Botox could be used to temporarily cause, uh, temporarily pause this muscle action. Um, we started to realize the, the benefits of that from a, you know, facial beauty standpoint and, um, facial rejuvenation. It's a little bit of a, one of the components of like, you know, people talk about like the fountain of youth. So one of the, the, components of aging is us getting wrinkles in our face over time. It's just like a part, it happens with life, but that's one of the components. When we see someone that looks aged or older, one of the things that we're kind of grading with our eyes is there, if, if there's wrinkles or not. One of the ways you get wrinkles, like, yes, there's sun exposure matters and, um, you know, Uh, nutrition, that kind of thing. But one of the ways you get wrinkles is by repeated movement of certain muscles. So if you frown, you know, 10 times a day, you do that for 30 years, you're going to start to get the little lines where you frown is going to start to be permanent. Same thing, you know, you're surprised or you have expression, you lift up your eyebrows, you make those creases in the forehead. 
over time, they'll start to deepen and create permanent lines that are there without you doing the muscle action. So um, people will come in for treatment of those areas so that they have less, a little bit less muscle movement. Not that they're, they're still able to make expression and, you know, um, interact uh, with facial expressions, but they have less muscle movement in those areas and it'll smooth. It'll one help prevent getting some lines if you're doing it early, but if you already started to develop some line, it can give that skin some time to relax and actually kind of let those lines smooth out instead of having them continue to get deeper and deeper. Okay. So if somebody frowns a lot, let's just say (laughs) they have a stressful job or some kids that's getting on their nerves, they can develop more wrinkles than the average person. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's probably the area I treat the most aggressively because there's not a little, a lot of situations where the frowning is really, truly, truly necessary. Like, of course, you want to be able to, when you smile, you want a little bit of movement around your eyes and you want to be able to look surprised. Like those are expressions that are really important in human interactions, but you can really knock out that frown uh, muscle in uh, in between the eyebrows and not lose anything. So I, I treat that muscle pretty aggressively when people come in. Okay. So let's talk about somebody coming in. So let's just say I come Mm -hmm. in, I looked you up on Google, saw all of your five-star reviews. I'm like, okay, I think she's the one for me. I want a nice black Mm -hmm. train, plastic fellowship train Mm -hmm. specialist. I come in to see you. I sit down in a chair. I say, Dr. Hutchinson, I have some stuff going on with my face. I think I'm starting to get some crow's feet around my eyes. Help me out. Help me get rid of these crow's feet. Yeah. So if someone, you know, someone comes in, they're new to Botox. First of all, I do give them some information on what it is, how it works, how the whole process works. Um, I, you know, like to do a little bit of numbing cream for my patients. So you get a little topical cream on the areas that we're going to be treating just to make it a little bit nicer um, and just kind of talk them through what's going to happen. I'll ask them what their major concerns are as, you know, like you said, the crow's feet, which are the lines that, you know, you make it the size of your eyes when you smile. That might be what someone points out to me as their concern. Um, But other people will have, you know, they'll have other concerns or they'll have places they're not concerned about. And I'll usually let them guide me on that. Um, So we'll kind of go through the whole face and decide okay, this can be treated with Botox. This maybe not. Um, Other areas might be better for different types of treatments, but I kind of help them sort that out. Um, Then when it gets to, let's say we do, you know, they just decided only when I smile, the the lines at the side of my eye, that's the only thing that bothers me. Okay, so we'll do Botox at the crow's feet. I'll usually, again, you know, like I said, put a little little numbing cream on. Um, clean the skin with alcohol. It's okay. If they're, if they are wearing makeup, it's okay. We'll just clean that area with a little alcohol wipe. Um, and then I just, you know, I kind of let them know it's a very, very tiny needle. The smallest like needle that's made is what you inject Botox with. Um, and I just let them know, you know, okay, you're going to feel a little poke and then we'll get through that treatment area. Then we go to the other side and it's, it's really that simple. They get a little ice pack afterwards. Um, 
you know, where it's injected at the site, there's like a, you know, little, um, little mosquito bite kind of um, appearance to it right after that goes away in the next 30 minutes to an hour. Um, you ice for that, you know, next hour or so, and then you go on about your day. Uh, there's nothing special that really needs to be done afterwards. Okay. And about how many injections would it take for you to remove the blemishes from that scenario with the crow's feet? The crow's feet, I'm usually doing three spots on each side to kind of, because you usually want to fan out a little bit to make sure you're treating the entire um, lateral side of the muscle that's making that action. So usually about three on each side. Mm -hmm. And how long does it usually last for you? I know it's not probably the same from person to person, but on average Mm -hmm. time, how long does it last? Yeah, generally it lasts three months. Uh, That's pretty typical. Um, You know, and I think some of that does depend on, depending on who you go to, how they dilute their Botox and that kind of thing. I think you can get some different effects with that. But typically, it's going to last about three months. So what are the potential major side effects that may happen from getting um, Botox injections? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, And it depends on where you're injecting it. But of course, you know, we talked about the, the action of Botox is to kind of decrease muscle movement. So if you're injecting it, you know, near the eye and it gets into one of the muscles that helps lift the eye, you can get like eyelid drooping. Um, If you're injecting around the mouth and maybe you get um, into inject a little bit too much or one of the uh, muscles that kind of control closing the mouth, you can get some what we call oral incompetence or difficulty with kind of tightening the lips uh, either around a spoon or a straw. Um, so you can get some um, unintended muscle weakness depending on where you're injecting and um, if the if the Botox diffuses out into any other spaces. I would say, you know, because of that also, we typically don't recommend injecting in someone that already has muscle um, or nerve issues, like someone with ALS or someone with myasthenia gravis who already has, you know, muscle and nerve um illnesses, we, d- we don't recommend using Botox in those patients because of that. Okay. So yeah, that was going to be another one of my questions. Who shouldn't get mm-hmm. Botox? Other different categories mm-hmm. of people who, sh- who shouldn't get the- those injections? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely people with those kinds of pre-existing conditions. Um, there is, there's no official recommendation on pregnancy or not, or breastfeeding. Although I, I am, I'm sure there are some people that get it and I don't think there's any, there's not any recorded issues with that. Um, it's just, of course, they're not, they weren't including in, in those original studies with the Botox. So we kind of use the example of crow's feet initially. Is there any kind of difference in the way you're doing the injections or a number of injections when you're having somebody come and see you just from maybe wrinkles on their forehead? Not really. I, I mean, you just have to, I mean, obviously the crow's feet is a very small area. So you're just going to scale up your injections to the size of the muscle that you're treating and that's where the training comes in when you have 
the um, the background that I have in facial plastic surgery and knowing the size of the muscle and the kind of the which muscles are more robust in their action and which ones are, you know, less, then you kind of know how to, how much is needed to treat uh, those different areas, but you just scale it to the size of the muscle. Um, so you're going to need more, you know, more units and more injections for uh, this, the muscle that we talked about, the frown muscle that brings your eyebrows together. You're also going to scale that to the patient. So you might come in and you have someone frown. I always have them do the muscle action so I can see how much, how strong that muscle is. And some people don't have a very strong, you know, it's just a little light pull in. And you say, okay, well, they don't need quite as much. And some people have a very strong, you know, frown or uh, make a very hard crease in their forehead when they lift up their eyebrows. And I say, okay, well, that one, you know, they need a little bit more in that area than the other person. Okay, so there's different levels of wrinkles that are appreciable in a patient's face. I'm assuming like from a medical standpoint, when you're writing your notes, you're classifying those wrinkles Mm -hmm. depending on different levels of severity. Exactly. Yep. Yep. So I'll make a note of whether or not there's lines at rest because that's a little bit more of an advanced level if there's already lines at rest versus only lines with movement. Um, So that comes into play. Um, And just, you know, how strong the movement is in general, you know, whether it's just they may have a weak movement of that muscle just natively, that's how their muscle is, or if it's a very hyperactive muscle. I'll make notes of that. And I always make notes of how many units I used that first time because usually the patient will come back and tell me, oh, it was perfect. Or they'll say it was, you know, perfect, but I just needed like a little bit more and I can adjust from the first time we did it. And I'll know if I keep just keep it the same or add a little bit more, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So how much of this is kind of like subjective in in this technique? I mean, there's a certain there's a certain amount that you're generally shooting for. Um, Typically let's just, you know, go back to the frown lines or the glabella. It's typically going to be between like 16 and 20 units in general. Um, And then with that framework, you're kind of scaling it up and down just depending on you know, with the things, those parameters that we, that we talked about already. So, but there is a general, is you're not going to go from, it's not like one person will get 20 units and one person gets two units. It, it just wouldn't, it would not be mm-hmm. enough to work. All right, all right. And so how do you mm-hmm. kind of approach things that you kind of mentioned earlier that you may see on a patient, but they may not notice and things that you may feel like need to be corrected, but they don't want to touch. Yeah. That. Yeah, that can be, you know, (laughs) you definitely have to be careful how you approach that. Um, I I let the patient guide me on that. Just me personally, if they come in from a standpoint of, hey, I just want a full assessment. Like you tell me what you think I need. Then I'll give them all the details they want on, okay, I think this would this in this area, this in this area. If they come in with a specific focus, like, crow's feet, 
And I said, you know, I may say, is there anything else that bothers you? Anything else you want to touch on? And that's really what what they're kind of limited to. Then I usually don't. I'm not going to go pointing out, well, you know, this area needs this, too, unless they they are coming to me for that information. Because it it really is, you know, my expertise folds into it, but. I want to make the person feel beautiful with it, you know, like whatever their standard is for that. Like, it's not, I don't want to necessarily project what my opinion of that is onto them. If they have just one specific concern, I was, you know, if I can help alleviate that one concern they have and they feel more confident, then that's a win. You know, it doesn't have to be that. I think everything's perfect. Because mm-hmm. especially with these type of things and special and beauty in general, it can be, subjective and varies from person Mm -hmm. to person. I'm sure that you have some individuals who come to see you to get some stuff done and they probably don't need anything done or very minimal at the most and want you to do more than you feel comfortable doing. Right. And that's, that's the flip side of the coin that also, you know, sometimes you do have to tell them, you know what, I think that that area is well treated. I don't think you do more. I don't think, I don't think that doing more would actually serve you. And, and, um, you know, you do have to be a little bit, I, I take the honesty approach with that. Of course, um, you can go to someone that's going to give you more filler in a certain area where it might already have enough. But, um, I just, you know, my, the way I, my standpoint on it is, if you're coming to me and then you go back out to the world, it's a little bit of a reflection on me. Right. You know, cause I want you to mm-hmm. say, you know, they'll say, well, where'd you get this done? And you're saying Dr. Hutchinson. So it has, to, it does. It is something I also want to feel comfortable with. Like, yes, that represents me well. Like I'm happy with the way that that looks. So I'm not going to do something that, you know, just to sell you another syringe, let's fill the bottom lip too. Or, you know, cause sometimes you just don't need, um, every single treatment. And so I do try to, you know, tell people when I do think an area has enough volume. And sometimes they, I, th- I do think also they see an issue, but they're not actually sure what to do to fix it. And I, I, some, I do try to help them tease out, like it's maybe it's not more volume here, but it's more volume here. It, there's, you know, they may not know understand exactly what they're seeing that bothers them. And so sometimes I'll go through what is actually needed and what would actually help you and try to just guide them with that. I've never thought about that for you and your specialty. Basically, your patients are a walking billboard. And so that can either be Mm -hmm. good for you or bad for you, how that billboard is walking around. It's kind of like um, a tattoo on a person. Someone's going to see it and mm-hmm. ask like, oh, where'd you get that done? And they're going to say such and such. And then they're going to know whether they should go to you or not. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Is your business built upon a lot of people being referred to you? Yeah, that's a lot of, especially the groundwork of getting started. It's, you know, you start out with a couple patients that happen to, you know, find you on Google, but then I think you get, I mean, a lot of the growth is from them telling their friend about it or their sisters in town and they want to come to. And 
if they had a good experience and they'll, they'll bring other people. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that good experience is a lot of different things. You know, it's not, it's, of course it is being happy with the result. I think that's probably the most important, but it's how they felt when they were there, whether or not they felt listened to, whether or not they felt like um, I understood what their concerns were. Um, so I think all of that, you know, folds into it when they're deciding to say, oh, yes, you have to go while you're here or uh, the person down the street, you know. So I think all of that really <laughs> matters when when they're deciding whether or not to refer you. So one thing I always like to talk about for my listeners here, especially in something kind of in this area is cost. So something mm-hmm. like this, I'm assuming for the most part is not covered by insurance. Am I right on that? Aspect? For the mo- you are correct. So for the most part, it's not. Um, and especially the, the, what we've been discussing today, as far as for cosmetic purposes, that wouldn't be covered by insurance. That would be all out of pocket. Um, you know, I would, I'm going to say a couple different things on cost. So, you know, it's definitely one of those things that you're treating yourself to. It's not, it's, um, it's one of, it's, it's kind of, I kind of look at it. Yeah. Or, and you can kind of look at it as a self care sort of thing. It's, you know, it's not something you're going to be doing like you get gas or groceries every week. But every once in a while, you, you know, you're saying, well, I haven't done anything for myself or I want to keep up with this. I want to maintain this. Um, so it's kind of that sort of expense. Um, you know, just to give like a ballpark, you know, we talked about unit pricing there and there's there's more than one way to price it. Not everyone goes per unit. But in general, at least in like the Atlanta market, um you know, you're roughly looking at probably let's just like ballpark $200 per treatment area. So let's say you are doing those frown lines that's roughly about $200, give or take. Now, you know, everyone has different rates and there's different ways to price it. But, uh, you, you know, you may catch a little uh, every once in a while, there'll be specials, things like that where you, you know, you catch a little discount, but generally, and then if you want to add another treatment area, like the forehead, it'll be another, like another similar 180 to 200, something like that. So that's, that's just a ballpark as far as how much you'd be, you know, thinking about spending for that, that uh, treatment. Um, The other thing I would say about cost too, is be careful with just shopping for the cheapest cost. Um, a lot of people do Botox. It doesn't have to be a board certified surgeon. It can be, um, you know, any med spa can do Botox. You know, there'll be someone listed as a medical director, but that's not necessarily who's injecting it. Um, and that can be fine sometimes. I'm not knocking going, you know, going to what's nearby or what you can afford, but, there is something to say about, um, you know, being being done by someone that has the extensive training. You know, we talked about like some of those side effects and unwanted effects of, you know, knocking out certain parts of the muscle and not other parts and leaving you with 
the eyebrows, you know, you can get some unwanted effects of the Botox. Um, that's not necessarily a side effect, but just a factor of someone maybe with less training, um, not quite understanding how all these different facial muscles work together. So, you know, you have to be a little bit careful with um, with the pricing and not just like price shopping for the, the lowest that you can find. Cause it, you know, you have to kind of, it, it does definitely matters who's injecting. Right. You don't want to go in there looking one way and you come out looking like you had a stroke. It's like your face one yes, side exactly. is more than the other. You can't lift exactly. part of your face. The, they done messed up. We didn't even want to do that side of the face. They didn't mi- mix up the wrong right. side. So, right, right. So, so it just just give it some thought. Mm-hmm. So I like what kind of what you talked about as far as the price shopping. Someone listening, they may not have a referral. They may just be looking up places online. Who or what should they be looking for when they're looking up different facilities or different locations to go to go get Botox done? Yeah, that that's a really good question. Uh, I'm trying to think about it from a consumer standpoint. Obviously, the way I think about it's different, just because mm-hmm. I'm I'm on the other side of that. Um, I think experience. You know, for is like a big me, I I I I can do. I'm not trained in it, but I know there are some family medicine um, mm-hmm. professionals that go to certain workshops and stuff and learn how to do training. I know there are certain mm-hmm. nurse practitioners. So just who who should people kind of look for in particular? I mean, so I think one, I just think experience matters. Like, yeah, there might be, I'm sure there are some family medicine doctors that have carved out a niche of, they have their patients that do Botox and they've been doing it for 10 years and they, you know, they haven't had any major, you know, that's, And so that's fine if you find someone that you're comfortable with like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, But you you just, in general, you want someone that understands the anatomy of the face, um, which facial muscles are doing which action, um, because that helps you understand what, what you're trying to achieve with the Botox. So someone that understands the anatomy and the function of the face and how the different muscle groups work together and also how to manage the side effects. You know, we talked about some of those different things that can happen. Um, And you just want somebody that can manage those effects afterwards. And if, you know, if you have someone that understands how it works, where those muscle groups are, how those all work together and can manage anything that comes up, I mean, you're, you're in pretty safe hands. Um, so, I mean, that's fine. I, you know, and I think someone with, you know, training as far as that went to med- medical school, did anatomy courses, you know, you, we have that same background, you know, even if you didn't, you did a different type of residency, you have that faith, that base background, which is different than mm-hmm. someone that doesn't have that background and only did the course. You know, when you add the course to that, you know, base knowledge, that's a lot different than not having that base knowledge first. 
All right, I got you. I got you. We all kind of have that same foundation of all the things that we learned about in medical school. Mm-hmm. Shout out to everybody that went to medical school and took gross anatomy. Yes, Ooh, that was that was a <laughs> that was definitely an interesting <laughs> class right there. It was. Yes, we learned all kind of stuff: the muscles of mastication, nerves, arteries, all of those things mm-hmm. in the face. So, what's what's your opinion on um, Botox parties? Yeah, so I think they can. So, okay, I think uh, it depends on what you're doing there. So, the types of events I've held before um, are more educational events, and um, I typically will have one model, one person that has you know agreed that they want to get some Botox as a demonstration. That's one kind of a Botox party that I think, and I think that 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 kind of model works well. People get what they want out of it as far as like understanding more, seeing how it goes, um, seeing how much pain the person is. Cause you know, that that's always, people are always concerned about that the first time. Um, what I, I have not done before, but I'm also, I would be wary to do the kind of party where multiple people are injecting and there's multiple people getting injected. Cause I think there's a little bit, less control with that, um, type of event. Um, there's less control of, you know, how much you injected, where, um, you know, the records of no, you know, they, if they do come back with some other, you know, some kind of side effect later, I just think there's a little bit less, uh, control in that kind of setting where just multiple people are getting injected and there's a lot going on all at one time. Because you don't want people to both have um, adverse reactions kind of at the same time period. If you're having a Botox party and it's 10 people there and it's only maybe you, the provider, and an assistant, and you have three people going mm-hmm. at the same time period, something drastic may happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, those are a little bit harder so. to control. But, um, you know, I, th- I think when they're done from an informative standpoint, you know, those can be those can be really fun and um, can help. It can help bring in new clients and also just help clients know you in a little bit more, a little bit more intimate setting. You know, when, when patients come into the office, you know, depending on what you might have another one scheduled right after you don't have as much time to just spend and talk a little bit more. Um, so I think they can be good for getting to know the provider in a little bit more of a, a little bit more social setting. Um and just having a little bit more time to kind of go in detail with some of these questions. So we kind of talked about earlier about um, Botox being used, of course, just for cosmetic issues. But there are some other indications that Botox is used for outside of cosmetic issues, such as migraines. Do you use Botox to help treat migraines or for any other reasons? I don't use it specifically for that reason, but yes, I have had, you know, a number of patients comment that after they're getting Botox in their forehead more for the frown lines, they noticed a decrease in their migraines. So I definitely, I mean, I I do think that that was how it came about (laughs) as a use anyway, um, because of that observation. So I definitely, um, you know, I've had patients comment on that, that they got that additional benefit from the Botox as well. 
Is there anything else that you do from plastic surgery standpoint outside of doing Botox? Oh, absolutely. So along the same lines of just non-surgical rejuvenation, of course, filler is kind of like the next probably most common thing that's done besides Botox. Um, And that could be a whole topic by itself. There's different types of fillers. Um, Typically, they're going to be hyaluronic acid fillers. Those are used to replace volume. So um, if someone has over time maybe lost some volume in their cheeks, you can use filler to kind of replace some of that volume. Um, If someone has, you know, a natural, uh, what we call a tear trough deformity, where they just, they may not have even lost the volume. They may have just had that since childhood. Um, Sometimes you can use filler to fill that tear trough deformity. Um, So anything that's going to plump up or replace volume, that's where filler comes into play. So that's another big, um, as far as like non-surgical rejuvenation. Um, And then there's all the, you know, there's all the surgical options too. And it, it all just depends on what the problem area is or what you need, but there's, you know, cosmetic eyelid surgery, for upper and lower eyelids, depending on the issue. Um, Some people actually, you know, need a brow lift and they they need that done surgically. Um, And then, of course, you get to the, you know, the time point where you actually may need a facelift, like a full, you know, face and neck lift. Um, And so all of that, you know, can be done as well. It just depends on where the person is in the aging process and uh, what they've identified as, as their problem areas. Man, you do a lot. <laughs> I do. And it will, anything from the, from the collarbone up, anything cosmetic from the collarbone up. So, all right, Dr. Randy and Dr. Hutchinson, I've been listening to you all. I have some wrinkles. I have some crow's feet, but I don't want to get Botox. What can I do holistically? or naturally to help reduce the wrinkles on my face? The biggest, biggest, biggest thing is wearing sunscreen every day. Um, I try to preach that as much as possible, um, including black people. Yes, we do need to wear sunscreen. (laughs) I feel like that's a myth that like, oh, I don't need it. I have melanin. Like, yes, you do. And it does (laughs) help. It's great. But you still need to protect it and protect your skin. Um, The melanin is doing a great job shielding your DNA, and it does help those skin cells stay younger, longer. Um, But you can help it, too. And the sunscreen really is um, it's just a no brainer to wear some within your moisturizer every day um, and block that sun from damaging the skin over time, because that's one of the major components of aging is sun damage. So that's going to weather the texture of the skin. That's going to, in addition to the, the movement we talked about of the muscles, the skin texture is going to contribute to wrinkles over time if it gets, you know, very sun damaged and loses elasticity. Um, so that is the most, like, the easiest, simple, natural thing you can do. You can get the sunscreen of your choice, but uh, wear it every day, even in the winter. Um, and then especially in the summer, you want to you know, be even a little bit more careful with reapplying if you're really out for a long time. Um, 
But just making part, making that a part of your daily routine, I'd say is the simplest thing you could do for yourself to keep your skin young. Um, you know, other than that, of course, like, I feel like it's almost cliche to say drink water, but really, you know, that hydration status and your overall nutrition um, contributes a lot to your skin quality. Um, So making sure you get, you know, the vitamins and supplements you need in your diet. And if you're not, you know, take a multivitamin to actually get what you need into your body. Um, Drinking lots of water. Um, Vitamins A and E are awesome for the skin. So if you're not like getting them necessarily in your diet, you know, there are um, serums with vitamin A and E. Those are great just skin vitamins in general. Um, those are those are probably my like the, the easiest like tips of just things you can do without, you know, going to get necessarily um, a, a procedure or anything done. All right, so that's some good t- tips. Eat right, drink a whole bunch of water, wear sunscreen, mm-hmm. even if you're black, and <laughs> try not to wrinkle yep. up your face a whole bunch. So if somebody's exactly. in your life that's creating a whole bunch of, making you have a whole bunch not of wrinkles in it. your face or your job is making you frown, you may need to switch that person and their job. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> So any lasting words of wisdom that you want to leave for my healthy listeners? Um, I mean, you know, any if there are any questions, definitely reach out to me. Um, you can find me at ATL uh, underscore face on Instagram um, um, or Doc McCutchie on TikTok. Um or you can go to our website and book a consult with me at northeastatlantaent.com. Um, and just let me know if there's any questions or, you know, if there are other treatments that you all have questions about or, you know, want to know, well, would this be best for this or that? Um, you know, well, we can do a consult and see what would be the right choice for you. And I, you know, I, I do it matters to me to take time with patients to kind of help, help them figure that out. Cause I know that a lot of this stuff is not necessarily as obvious to them as it is to me. So um, yeah, feel free to come and see me or, you know, reach out to me on social media to let me know if you have any more questions. All right. Y'all make sure y'all reach out to her so y'all can get y'all face fixed if you want to get it fixed. <laughs> and as always, I like to end my podcast with Randy's random questions. Are you ready, Dr. Hutchinson? All right, let's go. All right. So question number one, you have a track background, correct? I do. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite track and field event and why? My favorite was and still is the 800. That was my race. I ran the 800. That's the half mile. Um, It's my favorite because it's still fast paced enough where you can use your speed to your advantage, but it's slow enough where you can pace. It's not an all out sprint. Anything from 400 and under, you're just sprinting the whole time. Um, And it's hard. but once you get to that 800, there's just enough for time for you to kind of pace it, um, use bursts of speed when it's beneficial. Um, 
and there's I just like the strategy of that that race and um it was fun. That was that was my favorite race. How would you use your burst of speed? You was killing it at the beginning or you was hitting your burst in the middle or you were saving it for the end? Oh, I would eat them up at the end. I would just eat them up at the last <laughs> two hundred. Just come and like stay in like two or three and then that last bit they're gone. Oh man, yeah, they was in your dust after that, I'm sure. <laughs> yep. So second and last question, what does diversity in medicine look like for you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think diversity in medicine is really just having literally every background represented. And I don't, it's not necessarily just racial backgrounds. You know, of course, that's a part of it. But when you think about every background, you're talking about people of you know, trans identity, queer identity, uh, women, just having all of those backgrounds represented so that when you are looking for care, whatever it is, you can find somebody that, you know, you can sort of identify with. Um, And, you know, you don't, it doesn't always have to be an exact matchup, but we know that people get great, better care, you know, when they um, are treated by, you know, physicians of a similar background. And I know that they feel, I, a lot of patients personally tell me how much, how much more comfortable they feel. Um, and I do feel like I, you know, they're even more willing to be compliant with certain things, um, just from having that relationship. But, um, so diversity in me means having that representation for every single type of person so that they can, you know, you just can get what you need out of the healthcare system and not ever be marginalized or um, have your question, have your concerns um, not, you know, um, make sure that your concerns are heard and that the person understands, um, you know, it's as important to them as it is to you. Um, so having that for everyone is is would be what would diversity in medicine would look like to me. Okay. That's a good answer. So we always want somebody to feel comfortable with whoever they're with from a medical standpoint. And the only way for some people to feel more comfortable is to have some people who have been basically in the same world, same environment, look like them, feel like them and stuff they can relate mm-hmm. to. And we need to have more, more diversity in medicine so people can feel more comfortable with going to see us as physicians. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I'm going to let you off the hot seat now. That's it for Randy's random questions. So All right. thank you once again for being on the podcast and sharing some great information. Y'all make sure to go follow her on her social media channels. Look her up on her website. And if you're in the Atlanta area, schedule a consult. Thank you.